it gen- it is the avocado of wine. Hello, you are listening to Grape Culture, the podcast where we talk about wine, pop culture, and feminism. I'm Kim. I'm Sam. And we hope you enjoy the show. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking about The Change by Bridget Christie. But before we do that, we have some wine. Sam. We do. Sam's going to tell us about the wine this week because she bought it and apparently we swap roles all right so this week so originally we had planned a different topic for this podcast we were going to do yellow jackets but i watched the first couple of episodes and then went i don't really i don't think we should be talking about cannibalism right now it wasn't the vibe it wasn't it wasn't the summer vibe we were looking for so instead we we're going to talk about a show that focuses on the menopause but we do have the original wine that we were going to use for yellow jackets which is called don't panic it's organic and i guess that kind of works i think it works really well yeah there's also a big red bomb on the label which seems appropriate maybe but it's it's a merlot which i'm sure kim is is very excited about my favorite yes <laughs> and it is off of good pair days again so this is the don't panic it's organic merlot 2019 and the tasting notes say that this is a deep and dark merlot number with plenty of generosity and warm spice there is a wild almost feral character at play here with a lovely structure and firm grip on the palate Ooh. As we've come to expect with the Don't Panic range, there's a playful funk to this red. Funk. A funk is what you want in your wine, yeah. (laughs) It delivers layers of vivid red fruit and rusticity that we can't get enough of. Apparently, it is not very sweet. It is very full-bodied, very fruity, and it has medium alcohol. (laughs) Medium alcohol. (laughs) Medium alcohol. That's good. So, yeah, that's what we've got for this week. I think that the notes... Tie, do you actually tie in quite well? I feel like they tie in better with this than they do with yellow jackets, is all I'm saying. The question is, does it pair well with eels? It's I, I, I'm not getting full-bodied. and No, I'm getting... I'm getting... Acid reflux. The thing about Merlot... <laughs> Settling, people. Merlot is the house red for a reason, right? Mm. It's cheap. It's inoffensive on the palate. But you can't fancy up a Merlot, <laughs> you in can't my opinion. Gussy it up. You can't polish a turd. And it's not that it tastes bad. This is my thing with Merlot is it's not that I dislike it because it always tastes bad. Mm. It's just that nine times out of ten it's been kept poorly because it's been open and it's the house red and it's cheap and no one knows what they're doing and it's too warm and it gives you the worst fucking headache. Right. This is well kept, tasty Merlot, but it's still bleh boring. Yeah, this is nothing. Sorry, wine. <laughs> it this is like if wine had an avatar. But what I yeah, but what I will say is it's going to make it easy drinking. Mm. I think it will get better the longer it's open, until the point that it gets terrible. But yeah. hopefully, we're not going to be recording for that long, because that's the thing with Merlot. As I said, if you leave it open, it gets shit. So you leave it open just long enough. Just long enough. It's like let- an avocado. You've got to get it just the it, right point. It gen- it is the avocado of wine. Because also, if you get an underripe avocado, it's bland as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, cheers. <laughs> Again. Cheers. <laughs> to mediocre wine. But we're not here to just talk about the wine. We are also here to talk about 
the show that we picked this week, which again was The Change by Bridget Christie. Uh, and this is a show that came out this year. So very fresh. It's a comedy on Channel 4. Kim, would you like to tell our lovely listeners a bit more about what it is about and why we're talking about it? So The Change is a six-part short format comedy following Linda, who has just turned 50, and she goes to the Doctor and thinks that she has all sorts of things wrong with her, and the Doctor's like, by the way, you're going through the menopause. Mm. And this kind of sets off a moment of awakening for her that I think has been building throughout her life. She has previously been keeping a journal of all the time that she has spent on invisible labour, and she calculates that all up and says to her husband, I've got all this time that I've earned, I'm going off by myself. So she goes off by herself to the Forest of Dean to try and retrieve a time capsule that she left there as a child. (laughs) And in doing so, she meets the small community of a town near this forest and the, the myriad characters there, but predominantly a group of similar aged and like minded women who she bonds with and some other sort of colourful characters. And she kind of inserts herself in the community. She she finds a cause to stay by meeting, making a few friends and by picking up the cause of environmentalism, the, the Forest of Dean, that specific area is under threat. There's also a local celebration that she is getting involved with. The town is famous for its uh, eels that it <laughs> so cooks and serves, as you do. And they have the eel festival and she, she stays for that. So she kind of finds her community. Meanwhile, her husband is battling with the unseen labour that she had previously been performing and kind of coming to terms with mm. how much she was really doing. It follows a lot of different paths. Originally, when I suggested it to Sam, I did so because actually I thought that it was a TV show based on a book that came out a couple of years ago, 2022, called The Change by Kirsten Miller, which is about a woman in Long Island who goes through the menopause, Mm. who discovers that she has supernatural powers. So, and I quickly realised that I was wrong, but then I was still kind of like, oh, it's an interesting British six-part comedy about the menopause seemed really, really up our street. And I'm so glad that um, we did actually choose it because... Honestly, I think I like this story more than I would have liked a supernatural um, story of this on the same topic. But it does still have a kind of empowerment message to it and, and a sense of the kind of, not magic, but connectedness to the world and to nature that I think books on similar topics and certainly recent witchy books are definitely trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's a summary and also why we chose it. Sam, what did you think? Yeah, so it's billed as a comedy. And to start with, I was like, I, I don't understand where the comedy is. Mm-hmm. Because it starts as a very like, quite sad story about this woman who is invisible to her children, invisible to her husband, does all this work, logs everything that she does meticulously from cleaning up after a party to making a cup of tea kind of thing oh i just feel fucking depressed now and then she fucks off on a motorbike and and goes to this village of eels and i was like i don't understand (laughs) this feels like she's gonna end up in a cult or (laughs) she's gonna i don't know get murdered or something they make a wicker man reference they make a wicker man reference like that was (laughs) the, the kind of vibe i was i was getting from it and so to start with i was just being like what the fuck and then after about 
episode two, three, something around there, I was like, oh no, it's quite good. Mm. <laughs> I quite like it. And I think it felt kind of so, I don't know, j- jarring maybe because I didn't know what it was supposed to be and who it was supposed to be for. Mm. That I was just like, what? Uh, but no, in the end, I, I, I enjoyed it and I've recommended it to a couple of people since. But Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. That yes. makes me happy. How about you? I loved it, honestly. Hmm. And I I was a bit surprised um, to love it. I think because there's a real trend towards um, cringe comedy mm-hmm. in the last few years. And I was definitely kind of thinking that it might go that way. And I agree with you that it definitely starts off a bit sad. But I just found so much of it so subtly entertaining, and it wasn't particularly cringe. Like no. there were, there were moments, and I think the the part where I really started to get into it was I think the beginning of the second episode, where the character Joy is is talking on what turns out to be a local radio station, but it almost sounded like a podcast that yeah. someone might be listening to, or a podcast that we might listen to. Yeah. And I was like, who is this person? What is going on? Who is this this narrative? And I was so interested. And then the it she very quickly gets replaced by the verderer, who <laughs> is the local meninist. Incel? <laughs> incel, yeah. Incel's the best word, probably. Yeah. And his his thing is all about like being a straight talking white man. But that whole section I was like, okay, this is cleverer already and it's only the beginning of the second episode and the first episode was great and very like emotional but i wasn't necessarily seeing the comedy yeah but the second episode it did it masterfully and it did it in such a clever way that it was much less i don't know uncomfortable because you felt i felt like i was in safer hands the first episode is deliberately challenging the idea of what uncomfortable is yeah not making you uncomfortable but challenging if you feel uncomfortable in this moment why if you think this is uncomfortable, why? Mm. And I really appreciated that. But then the second episode brought the comedy. And yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. And then it introduced all these other themes about community and about connection and about being part of nature, not just enjoying nature. And all of that really spoke to me. And especially the thing about community. I'm, I'm a big lover of community as as much as I also want to live in my house and not talk to anyone <laughs> but yeah so it just really a lot of it really really resonated with me I was sad when I got to the end of it oh. but I definitely will be recommending it to a lot of people I'm looking forward to more those were my nice. thoughts Good. and I was really glad we chose it it was an excellent Almost accidental pick. So, obviously this show is, as we've said, is the, the main character, Linda, is going through the menopause and encounters various other um, women of a similar age going through the same thing. There's also a lot of older male actors in it as well, and male characters. Obviously her husband, Steve. There's Tony, who is played by Paul Whitehouse. There's Pigman, played by Jerome Flynn. There's loads of people who I reckon the average age of the cast in this is probably 45. Yeah. A, how often do you have you seen that in a show? How often do you see something where, where the average age is older? And B, how do you think that affected the show's message? What do you think of that impact? Excellent questions. 
It was about eight questions. So yeah. <laughs> just pick one. So, I don't think I see that very often. Or at least I don't... I don't see this kind of cast very often happening without some kind of young person subplot. Yeah. And one of the things that was particularly noticeable about this was that there were no young people having subplots except for one character. Ryan. Their subplot was not about being young. Their subplot was about being involved in this community of elders and coming to terms with their identity. Linda's kids have two lines yeah in the first episode and then they don't show up again and there's they show up but they're silent and they show up that yeah. they're silent they get texts and yeah. that's it they don't they don't have their own unique identities they're completely incidental and i think that that was so significant and so interesting and we're not going through the menopause and we're not really at the traditional age that you would expect to be going through the menopause and yet I felt more like I could identify with these characters because they were they were of the age that a lot of TV shows ignore unless they are very plot-driven, like, dramatic, uh, there's a murder to solve mm. shows. This was a slice of life, very personal moment, a lot of emotions and a lot of exploring identity and sex that you normally get in a teen drama or a twilight years drama Mm. you don't get it in the middle unless the plot is and then i murdered my husband or (laughs) and then and then i somehow got roped into a lesbian affair or all this sort of stuff yeah you know the only two plot lines that ever existed (laughs) (laughs) Um, the the desperate housewives plots yeah yeah it was so there's a real like this is a comedy and it's quite wacky but it's yeah. not like it's not slapstick and it's not in your face it's it's quite a subtle just show <laughs> it is just yeah it's just odd. odd it's it's little moments of life and i felt really connected to that so i think i see this age group very often i don't see it in this format very often i think it would resonate with gen x and, and millennials because that's what we're looking forward to we, we, we're not identifying with the kind of crazy like the crazy emotions of being a teenager we're identifying with the crazy emotions of being a middle-aged person mm-hmm. in a world that doesn't care about us and is kind of set up to ignore us yeah and i think that that is really interesting what about you yeah no it's it's it is an interesting it's a strange time i think in comedy because i think you are getting a lot more people who have been in working in comedy from an early age now coming up into early middle age, later middle age, who are creating these these things. And, you know, we have an episode where we talked about Good Luck to you, Leo Grand, which again was Katie Brand, who is mm-hmm. very kind of similar age to the writer of this, Bridget Christie. Um, and you are seeing comedies about... I don't want to use the word older people because it's not older. It's, you know, 40, 50 is not old. Older than us. Older than us, exactly. But you're seeing these comedies and these programs coming through in a way that they never did before, possibly because the longevity of the entertainers wasn't there, but also because I think attitudes have changed a bit. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned like, <laughs> if you think of an old comedy, last of the summer wine, I mean, I use the term comedy there loosely, mm-hmm. but that's an entire long running show that was based around being old and, yeah. or being past a certain age. Yeah. And then you think of, I'm trying to think of other 
middle age comedy Pling. but then again that was quite young that was a bit younger it's very polarizing i think mm-hmm. early earlier comedies are very one thing or the other and it's the family unit or you're old and therefore doing things that old people shouldn't do and that's funny whereas this isn't about being of an age that society may consider older and doing things that are inappropriate and it's the doing of the inappropriate things that's funny it's the people that are funny mm-hmm. and weird Mm-hmm. And their age is kind of incidental. Yeah, they um, could be any age. Yeah, exactly. Like Tony in his bloody trousers. <laughs> that whole plot about like, oh, what will Tony's trousers be at the, at the town hall me- meeting? And That's the eel that. sisters who run the eel cafe where they seem to just serve eels and mash. Yeah. Sounds like my idea of hell. <laughs> um, funny because they're just these deadpan weird little women who have clearly been the same way since they were 10. Yeah. And yeah, it's not, even though it's about the menopause, it doesn't feel like it's about age. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only consistent reference to anyone's age and that they are all mm. of a similar age, which again is quite, a, you know, like it's quite a broad range. Yeah. We're talking, yeah, sort of late 30s through to mid 50s, possibly 60s. 60s yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Hot Flushes. Yeah. <laughs> which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking hot. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Like, that's the only sort of consistent reference to age. But you could have told me that they were all complete, like, 10 years apart, yeah. respectively, like 35, 45, 55, and I would have believed you. Yeah. I think the fact is that even if you can reference similar time period, like, similar age periods or similar comedies, <clears throat> it's going to be as many as you can count your fingers, yeah. if that. And not the literal thousands of shows that are 20 somethings yeah or teenagers so yeah so i think this this is a great show for challenging perception of menopause and also this idea as well that middle age doesn't really exist anymore that gen x and millennials are kind of because they're doing things later because they're they don't have the the lifestyle that their parents and their parents generation had yeah that middle age isn't really a thing and i think this is a really interesting show for showing that but one of the things that kind of did come up that I think is a real through line for shows about people in their 40s and 50s is this idea of I've reached a certain point in my life and I need to make a change. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Linda's chronicling of all of her labour. Yes. With her notebooks and things. What what did you think about that? Because that was a point at which, like, I when I saw that, I was like, this is an interesting idea. And then it did get me kind of sort of mentally totting up a few things I'd done even throughout the day, being like, oh yeah, fuck, actually, that's quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, you know, when you're, I don't know, reading something and you your eyes flick to a page and then you're like, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Or you're doing anything, like walking around the house, and just, I'm just going to pretend that I did not see that spider in the corner. Yeah. That's what that felt like. I was like, I don't necessarily want to stare that right in the face. Right. Okay. It was so interesting. Such an interesting concept. And I loved how it was used. Mm. I had questions about it because I almost felt like her, a lot of her words that she used in this and a lot of the um, quote unquote that she may or may not have had, some of them felt very authentic and some of them felt like something you might use when you're just learning about feminism. Yeah. Which I don't believe Linda is just learning about feminism. But her sister... Who raised her. Who raised her is the opposite of her. So I was like, where did she get this concept from? Where did she get this belief system from? And... So 
I had some questions about it that I couldn't totally leave unturned, but I think they were almost questions to avoid, again, looking directly at the sun of... <laughs> Looks to the edge of them. Yeah, like, what what it was that she was doing. And again, in the first episode, I was like, this is, this is weird mm. and a bit bleak, but then I was like, aren't we all sort of yeah feeling it it was very powerful and i liked that it emerged quite quietly like you we never saw the scene where she throws this in his face we see him coming to terms with it and talking about it with his friends and then them being like oh my god our wives have figured this out and then at the point of confrontation that linda and steve have it is a minute silence and they are mouthing it to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, if that isn't like, that was masterful. That was great. That was because really again, it was like, it isn't necessarily a balls out argument, balls to the wall, shouting about it. It is pointing out that this needs to be done. It's also quiet. It's also insidious. Mm. And it really like hammered that home. So I thought that was very clever. Yeah. How did you feel about it? Because I know you have a lot of thoughts and I've, rambles no, no. yeah i thought i i like you i was like oh this is this is interesting and i was like that's quite smart and then i was like is it smart i don't know with it with the whole labor ledger thing but one thing's that one thing that did kind of feel weird to me was a she's been keeping these journals since they got married like yeah their, their entire life together she and steve and it takes her until 2022, which is something like 30, not quite 30 years, but it's a long way down the, down yeah. the, about 25 years, let's say. And it's only when she gets to 25 years in the menopause that she cracks. And I was like, if you are putting the effort in to note all of this down and you've not at any point thought this is, this isn't right, that f- felt a bit odd. Because when he opened the cupboard and you see all the notebooks in there, it's like shit. But that felt a bit like, why are you yeah doing why this? are you doing this now yeah but then was it the whole menopause thing but then yeah anyway in which case why have the notebooks and then i think as well is the fact that she talks about that she's she's racked up all these hours of invisible things that she's done she then uses that as an excuse to go and do her own thing which she shouldn't need yeah which do. is her point yeah yeah that's true but yeah the fact that that like I, i'm not that's not necessarily a criticism of linda that's like why does this have to feel so sort of um transactional and then on the theme of transactional how often do we do things for the people that we love and spend time with and don't even think about the time spent the time spent because we're doing it for them because we love them and that's not to say you should do all of this thing these like you shouldn't do anything for anyone because you care about them you should have your own boundaries but to always have in the back of your mind i need to make a note of this because i am this is taking time away from me Mm. felt a bit strange uh which is not to say that you know you shouldn't you should absolutely respect your own time and you should you know the 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 efforts that people put in shouldn't be ignored but do do you know what i mean i absolutely do know what you mean because you know acts of service is one of the love languages exactly you know yeah we can talk about love languages being bullshit and made up psycho bullshit as much as you want but acts of service people do things for people because they 
love them and because also you might do it anyway so it, it makes me wonder when she started yeah because was it at the point that she realized that he wasn't doing anything and again why wait 30 years to say yeah. something but yeah i agree with you it's it's sort of it's transactional in a way that takes away some of the humanism of being human like yeah. the rom- the romance of yeah. being human because a lot of what she talks about in this you know she says i am not going to do anything more for men i'm not going to i'm not going to engage Clean up another this, man's mess. yeah i'm not going to engage in this conversation with you because i don't want to but then she is doing those things or requesting that time of people Mm. regardless Mm. and you know we do see for example pigman makes her a coffee yeah even frosts the milk (sighs) even frosts the milk repeatedly is this becomes a routine yeah is he then does she owe him half an hour of her time yeah for all the, for the coffee frothing. For all the coffee frothing. Because even if she spent half an hour of her time with her husband making coffees and yeah. teas, that's not what she gave to Pigman. No. So, like, what's the currency here? What's, what's the karmic balance what, yeah, of this like, labour? How, how transferable is this currency? Yeah. And how do you justify it? And then is it... I don't think that it's selfish to do what she did. I think that her sense of her own value is skewed. She doesn't see that she would be doing this for herself because she doesn't think that she's worthy of doing those things for, Mm -hmm. which is why she's so surprised when someone Mm -hmm. makes her a coffee. Yeah. And therefore she thinks her only value to her family and to who to ever else is the labour that she puts in, the invisible or otherwise labour that she puts in, and that has grown a seed of resentment in her. And while that is fair, I agree with you that that is problematic. And I don't think that that is... It's the most black and white that this show is, mm. which is that all labour that you do is for someone else. That seems wrong. Yeah, and all labour that you do for someone else is building up a bank for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that it does break down because she does a lot of stuff throughout that period that she doesn't she she crumples up the piece of paper when she starts writing it down yeah. in her yeah. new life. So, you know, maybe it was acknowledging that that's not the right thing to do, but it's the backbone of this story. Mm. I don't want to disregard her invisible labor, but I do also want her to be challenged on the us versus them mentality. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really it's really interesting as a as a device because i mean i'm i've sort of argued the opposite side to what i think which is that no one should be unrecognized for what they do and i think that was the point of it but yeah it it's it's a really it's really interesting we are going to take a short break we'll be back afterwards to talk some more about the change to drink some more wine and chat some more shit So we're back from our break. We are going to talk some more about the change. We're going to drink some more Merlot. Kim, how are you finding the Merlot at the moment? It's Merlot. 
Smell it's fine. It is exactly what I expected, which is dangerously quaffable, but going to make me feel wretched. I already feel a bit blech. Blech. Yeah. Yeah, that technical term, blech. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I'm not... It's not offensive, but no. neither is it great. It's just there, and that's a real shame. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's certainly not worth the money, which we will discuss at the end. Yeah, Merlot's Merlo's not the one. And, you know, we we gave it a go. For your sake, listeners. uh, Yeah, I'm on the record as not liking Merlot. Like, it's on the website. We've had, like, two Merlots in 70-something episodes of this podcast. So we're having a a very indifferent time with the wine. You mentioned that on our website it says that you hate Merlot. (laughs) Would you describe that as part of your identity? (laughs) What a segue! Sam. What a segue! What I'm a just segue. gonna jam that in there. Um, <laughs> that is that is forceful segueing, and yeah. I enjoyed it. I don't think it's a core facet of my identity, but at the same time, <laughs> it's well known and well documented. So maybe, yeah. But I do take a point that discussions of what is and is not part of your identity just because it's emblazoned on some kind of social media, yeah, or indeed is visible is really a big part of this show that we're talking about, which again is The Change, written and directed by Bridget Christie. I I really enjoyed how this show went beyond what, you know, you maybe thought was going to be the plot, which was that Linda was looking for this time capsule and was going to find herself, Mm. and went more into what is a person's identity and not just the central character who is a, you know, middle-aged white woman, and also into just the general identity of what is a community, what is a person who deserves time in a community, what is a man, what is a woman, where do I fit in with everything that is changing. What is an eel? What is an eel? <laughs> and I think that that's as much part of the the title of the change as it is about, you know, the little menopause is yeah. having an identity in a changing society and there are there are two characters that I'm particularly thinking of here that I think are op- represent opposite ends of that spectrum, which is you've got Tony, who is the older man who approaches Linda in the pub, and then they form a kind of friendship. He's clearly like a local character, bit of a geezer, mm. but seems to be ultimately harmless and actually quite open-minded, Yeah, but just trying to make sense of his identity as what he thought was an affable man in a society that is now sort of telling him to stop doing this and stop doing that and what that means and how that's challenged versus Ryan, a young person who is really one of the only young people that we see in this in this show, yeah. who works at the cafe where Joy and the Verdurer have their radio show runs a cat speed dating i forgot about the cat speed dating which at first i'm already sold but then also turns out to be matching rescue cats with elderly people with unique companions but also is struggling with their identity as the half sibling to the eel sisters newly discovered yeah and master of ceremonies at the eel festival and who identifies as Mm non-binary and that's established very early on and everyone is very respectful of it which i really love but then i think that that question of identity between those two people who are 
I think for a lot of other shows and, and in fact in, in society and certainly in how social media is presented would be opposing sides. Mm. Don't get that impression in this show. Mm. So I just was really interested in how this show explored identity in all its different facets. What did you make of what this show had to say about identity? Yeah, there was a lot. It was very much about sort of confronting what you believe yourself to be, wasn't it? And, mm. and as you sort of just said. And it's interesting that you picked out Tony and Ryan and this idea that the, the Ryan as a non-binary person in this very rural setting is, is accepted which obviously is great but not necessarily what you expect sometimes mm-hmm. from, from smaller communities and it uh, i would like to throw in there if i may the verdura who is this very very kind of as we as we've already said sort of incelly character who kind of seems to think that his identity is being threatened by any change yeah by any any development to the land because he's worried about his birds. He's a keen twitcher and wants to protect his birds and he goes and lives up a tree for a while. But also the, the eel sisters who are kind of responsible for the festival since their father's death um, decide that instead of having the traditional eel king, they're going to have an eel queen mm-hmm. this year. And the verdurer takes that as like as as many men of a certain mindset have done with, with other similar things. It takes that as a threat to masculinity and mm-hmm. oh my god what does it mean that like it's meant to be a man why is a woman doing it but interestingly there's never any animosity between the verdurer and yeah. ryan but like there's no kind of gender politics there and it's i think that comes back to this community thing of if it's your community if you know these people and you're familiar with these people it's okay but this sort of attack from outside or perceived attack from outside is what what you see him being afraid of and what you see is a challenge to his identity absolutely and what is particularly interesting is the verger is ryan's uncle yes raised ryan as their own child and indeed defends ryan's rights to gender neutral pronouns and to their existence Mm -hmm. in against small-minded others and I think that's one of the things about the Verger is that they are performatively antagonistic. Yeah, almost like a shock jock kind of. Yeah, yeah. where actually it reveals, I think a lot of the stuff that he talks about reveals a hidden hurt. Yeah. So in one of the first, I think it is the first instance that we see him speaking on his radio show, he talks about the eel king he talks about male suicide rates Mm -hmm. and then you find out later on that actually he had a very difficult time during the covid lockdown and struggled with his own mental health and actually attempted attempted to end his own life and that it was bird watching and nature that being in the forest of dean that that saved his life and that's why he so identifies with it but that it also explains a kind of approach that he's exactly he's Mm. establishing his identity in out of fear and in fear of anything that is a challenge and i think also finding an identity in people that will offer him community if he says a certain thing Mm. so he can say a certain thing and he will get the reward back of yes you're part of us where it seems like even in his childhood and certainly in his in in his adult experience in lockdown, he felt like an outsider. He was never apparently an eel child, 
which is a big deal in this in this town. Yeah, which is like um, the, the good children are picked yeah. to be the children, aren't they? So he felt like an yeah. outsider as a child. He felt isolated during lockdown as an adult. So he sought recourse in something that gives him a community, even if he maybe clearly from his actions doesn't necessarily believe in yeah. that community. And it's not just his actions with Ryan. It's not just his actions with the tree. It's also he has a sexual relation or like tension relation with Joy. He's banging Joy, yeah. Yeah. Well, he banged Joy <laughs> once, but they also this seem to time. have a very like heated, will they, yeah. won't they kind of slow burn vibe going on. Yeah. And Joy is a black woman and a oh, feminist. And they have this, they have this companionship and working relationship and then this sexual tension and so it's obvious that this identity that he's carved for himself is at odds to his true identity and i think that that really is at the core of quite a lot of the themes yeah so you've got linda who's carved this identity as, as this housewife mother but is secretly a badass feminist leather jacket wearing biatch you've got pigman who oh, has carved his identity as a woodland weirdo loner, but is actually a person who's seeking companionship, seeking friendship because he's grieving. And you've got Carmen and Agnes, the eel sisters, who have this this identity as these rough and tumble, masculine seeming tomboys sisters in their waders and cabs yeah, yeah but who actually you know they have these beautiful dresses. They both wanted to be loved. They imagined themselves in different roles but were kind of lumped with this and it's the identity that you imagine for yourself and the identity that you end up living Mm. and how those things are often at odds and the person that vocalizes that is tony yeah he he sort of says you know like i was used to being this person and i always used to know where i stand and now what do i do and and then the answer is, well, don't do this, do, do that. Just don't, don't do the offensive shit and do the do the stuff that feels good. You, you don't st- know what to do anymore. Well, don't do the thing that's, that that hurts people. Yeah, you can still be the nude model. You don't have to be the the lecher. Yeah. And I thought that that was so well done and so challenging. And I liked that that theme was across everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was. It's definitely for something that is essentially two hours of of story two hours of content there's a lot of journey in there's a lot of self-discovery and a lot of journeys and a lot of re-examining of what you know and it's not just the change of the menopause it's the change as we've said it's the change of personal growth but it's also this change of external development that comes onto the, the you know affects the forest of dean that they are fighting against as well so it's a really this identity idea is so woven through every character i think it's really well done mm-hmm. and it's not just one woman's eat pray love voyage of yes. self-discovery yeah. it's everyone around her changing and growing mm-hmm. not also not necessarily as a result of her i think it's important to say yeah like, she does have an impact but it's not all tied to her and i think yeah. that's really important because i think it would give one person sort of inflated importance white in this narrative yeah exactly yeah. and and that's not what you want although having said that i did get a uh, slight racial stereotyping of joy's character with the the wise black woman i felt in... there was a little bit of that interesting because she seemed to be the voice of reason for a lot of people through the whole thing and i was 
as the only person of colour in the mm. in the majority of the story, obviously Omar Jalili is, is plays Steve, but she's the main yeah actor of colour in the in the story, right? Yes, that's true. And I I didn't necessarily get that and I think because I felt that there was learning from a lot of different sides. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is why I didn't necessarily read that. And also because Joy was allowed to make what some people might consider wrong decisions. And she was given room to be suspicious, emotional, yeah, secretive. I don't think that she was one-dimensional. No, not at all. No. And I think there Agreed. were a handful of one-dimensional characters, although not many. But she certainly was not one of them. No. In no. fact, she was one of the most real characters to me. Yeah, she felt like the most... But then again, this is... I guess this kind of ties into my voice. She felt like the most grounded character and the most authentic. But then would you, you could you could make a case that... You know... I, you I could know. make a case that you that's because case we that... have perceptions of how uh, black women are supposed to be in society and she fit into that and therefore it's reaffirming our incorrect... Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I think the question of identity... The way that it's channeled through and the way that the change, as we say, like the title refers to not just the menopause, but also people's identity was really interesting. But it also referred to, as you mentioned, which I thought was really astute, the change of the nature, the change that is the environmental change that is being put upon this community. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts about the themes of nature in this show? I thought it was it was very oddly not oddly done it was it was unexpectedly done the whole nature thing because obviously for many women who are fortunate enough to get to the age where menopause is a consideration (laughs) menopause is a natural state of life and there is this even within the medical community as we talked about on on the unwell women episode there's this perception of, of of the change of the menopause as being unnatural or strange or uh, something to be feared rather than mm. something that just happens pretty much unavoidably if you mm. are a menstruating woman and so i thought the fact that they chose to be like to, to the fact that they chose to set this in the woods for the majority of it was very interesting and to treat nature as this grounding force really important i think and i think this kind of one of the very few notes i wrote when i watched this was the fact that they there's this perception of when women get past breedable age i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. that they are old crone go and witch go and live in the woods and she's going through the menopause and she literally goes to live in a caravan (laughs) in the woods Um, and i thought that was really cool because it was like the other side of the story like you always hear about the witch in the cabin in the woods and she's always an old crone and she's always trying to eat children or (laughs) do whatever Whereas this is like, how did the witch get to the woods? Yeah. And the witch being in the woods isn't a bad thing. Maybe the witch is just there for her mental health. Maybe leave the witch alone. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was that kind of grounding in nature and this return to nature, and particularly with the fucking eel ceremony, what was it? Eel festival. Eel festival, This yeah. return to the waters, this thing. This cyclical theme they had was really cool because women's lives, in a hormonal sense and a reproductive sense, do go in cycles. And... Yeah. yeah. I liked it. <laughs> what did Good you job. think? Yeah. I'm going to sound like a knob now. So, 
I recently went to a conversation between Raina Wynne, who wrote The Salt Path, and mm-hmm. Isabella Tree, who wrote Wilding. Yeah. And in that conversation, they talked about how we as humans in modern society treat nature as something that we go to or something that we need to look after and not something that we are part of. Yeah. And this was something that was acknowledged in this show and I really loved that. Yeah. And I haven't seen that in anything other than the David Attenborough documentary. Yeah. But yeah. I think that that is one of the most important lessons that we have to learn. Is, and, you know, it speaks to our identity as human beings, but that we are not separate from nature, that nature, we are part of it. We are we are natural beings and we yeah. are animals. And I think Pigman says that. He says, like, we're, basically, we're basically animals, which yeah. we are. And so anything that happens to nature happens to us and the way that the show ends Mm. in this first season spoilers is that they are in the middle of the eel festival they're having a wonderful time but then they all hear the sound of chainsaws and they run and this tree that they have all been trying to protect and this woodland that they have all been trying to protect has been chopped down yeah maliciously it feels in this moment and they all feel very heartbroken and raw. And then Steve, Linda's husband, says something like, like, Linda. And then Carmen goes, who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> and it and it, it challenges nature and community in that yeah. moment. And, and that sense of loss. And I just thought that that was such a powerful curveball mm. in this show. Yeah. I just wasn't expecting this show to be also an environmental but environmentalist show but then that's the point is that this is a show about a natural process about how a certain subset of people are being excluded from society and community and should be part of that and should be treated as part of that and that we are all actually necessary in this in this circle of life and that all of this is necessary and all of it is natural and that essentially there's other fucking shit to worry about. It was definitely not the ending I expected. And I don't really know what the ending I expected was. But in terms... So this show has been renewed for another season, which will presumably be out next year, given that the, the first season has just, just dropped. Um, What is your hope for the story going forward and the characters going forward? What would you like to see? And what would you not like to see? I would like to see... Honesty, healing, and rallying together. I would not like to see how Linda's family are feeling. (laughs) Fair enough. Like, and I don't want to see a romantic subplot between someone and someone, unless it's Joy and the Verger, because... Yeah, weirdly, enough. I stand it. It's a bit like Bumper and Fat Amy and yeah, it's yeah. So, so true. Yeah, in the sense that what I would love to see is I think that it's necessary that Linda's feelings that she has de- deceived people come mm. to light, and that that is addressed. And in the in the following the pattern of the show, that this is addressed in an episode, and everyone's kind of like, "Why are you being such a?" twat like literally stop acting like everything is so dramatic and actually we're all just people yeah and then there's more important things to worry about and then i would like to focus on that 
that healing element of we're actually a community of people who live in nature and the one thing that we all agree on is that this is important and how that slowly spreads out much like a root system (laughs) mycelium (laughs) (laughs) into healing the community and nature and shit like that yeah what about you i think it's hard to say because it's not a show that i think should be set up for happy endings everything tied together nicely with a big bow Mm -hmm. so i don't think there should be a I, i i don't think that um linda should go back to her old life should just should just up and leave it should be about this community this strange forest of dean situation that's going on i think i'd like to see more of that i would like i, I don't know there's part of me there's a very stupid hollywood part of me that wants to see her and Pigman have a thing but i don't know you know if that doesn't happen then that that's good as well I agree. I don't think there should be anything about the kids because fuck the kids. Don't fuck the kids. <laughs> it should, yeah, it shouldn't be. Oh no, mummy, you left us. But I also think Linda has not been perfect. No, and I think the fact that she did lie to the community about the fact she had her husband and kids is something that should be addressed, and there should be a broader exploration of why she felt she needed to do that. Yes. I would like to find out more about Joy because she says she's a mother and we don't really know anything about that. Mm -hmm. Not that she has to be defined by being a mother, but because there's obviously a story there and I would like to hear it. Yeah. I think I would like to see more of the Verderer's growth Mm -hmm. and how he changes or if he changes. Yeah. And I want a happy ending for the Yale sisters. Yes, me too. I think what this does as well is it shows you so, so many characters who are not perfect but still manage to have an element of likability. Yes. Whereas you, so many shows are either you, this character will be redeemed and likable in the end or no, they're just a shitbag, we're not going to give them anything. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it, it's great ground for development without perfection, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. The grey area of life. The grey area. So, on to non-grey areas. I think we're going to wrap up the show tonight, finish by rating the show and the wine. Kim, I see you've still got some of your Merlot left. Mm-hmm. How have you found it? And then once again, that is the Don't Panic, It's Organic Merlot. Ugh. 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 Like, all right, look. It doesn't <laughs> taste bad. If that's what you're interested in, if you don't care about the hangover... If you don't if you just want something to drink, it's fine. But it genuinely feels like wine that you have at a slightly posh wedding. It's not gonna offend anyone, but you're gonna fucking feel it tomorrow. Yeah, it's gonna hurt. And I don't know off the top of my head how much this costs. But I know that it was more than I want to pay. The wine was seventeen quid. What do you feel about that price? I feel sick. Okay. <laughs> not, it's expensive. Like for what it was, <sighs> it's expensive. It's not worth the money. It's not worth the hangover. It's completely fine. But honestly, if I was going to give it like a three before I had the price, I'd give it like a two now because two. that's too expensive. And that's why I'm giving it a two. It mm-hmm. is too expensive. What about <laughs> you? Yeah, it's this is red wine for people who don't like red wine and want to convince people that they like red wine. <laughs> they can drink it without flinching. 
but it's not going to bring any real flavour. No, it was just... Oh, it was so... We've had a lot of meh wines this season. And this was very meh. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to say a two. Because it is not worth 17 quid. No. At all. I'd, I'd be push paying fucking eight for that. And how about the change? I loved the change. Yeah. I've got to say. And I... I don't think it's perfect, but I do think, and I'm, I, I'm aching for more, mm-hmm. in the sense that I feel like it's unfinished. So, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna give it four grapes mm-hmm. because I think if it was a complete unit, <laughs> unit, like if it ended here, it would be unsatisfying, mm. brilliant and beautiful, but unsatisfying. And I don't want to give it five grapes because I think that that's too... There's giving it too much credit. There were things that I didn't like about it. There were characters that I thought were one-dimensional and there were um, moments that I felt were jarring. But most of the time I was really quite taken aback by how impressed I was. So I'm going to go with four with a kind of like room to grow. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you did. I think maybe it was too gentle a comedy for me. Mm. You know, I love a cringe or I love the ridiculous. And I think it it sort of felt almost like a first novel kind of thing, yeah. First foray into this area by by the creator, but that's not to say that it wasn't enjoyable. So I'm going to go for a three. Fair. I would recommend it to people with the caveat of this is not a laugh out loud yeah. very often comedy and and it is meant to be a comedy so Mm. yeah three from me so that's it from us this week i'm gonna hand over to sam to do the social media stuff but please do join us in two weeks for our next episode which will be something equally as hilarious sam tell the people where to find us (laughs) yes of course so you can find us on our website which is grapeculturepodcast.co.uk you can find us on twitter at grapeculturepod uh, and you can find us on Instagram at Culture Podcast. Please give us a follow if you've been listening on any sort of device where you can give us a rating and you've enjoyed this, then please do so. We love your feedback. We love to know what you think. You can also get in touch with us via the website if there's anything you would like to hear us discuss in the future. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye.